Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dr. Laura Devkin, top board-certified New York City plastic surgeon and the founder and CEO of luxury medical-grade skincare line, Dr. Devkin Scientific Beauty. She's an international lecturer, a renowned industry consultant, a classically trained artist, and an expert in plastic surgery and injectables for the face, breasts, and body. In this episode, we chat about Dr. Devkin's journey becoming a plastic surgeon, along with her passion for helping people gain confidence. Dr. Devkin shares tips for taking care of our skin at all ages, some of the best treatments and products to get that glow, and her approach to facial optimization. If you want to try any of Dr. Devkin's amazing products, which I'm a big fan of, you can use code SPRINGSKIN for 15% off discount on her website. Keep listening to learn all about Dr. Devkin. Dr. Devkin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. I've been such a huge fan of your products, and I was lucky enough to be in New York City last week and to come in and see you and have you work your magic. And as I was just saying, I truly feel like you gave me the best Botox ever. So I I can't wait to come back and just so excited to learn more all about you and share what you do with our community. So would love just to start off with your background and as one of the most sought after plastic surgeons, you certainly just don't get there. So would love to dive a little bit into your personal story and your path to opening your practice. Well, sure. Um, well, as you know, I am Dr. Lara Devkin. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in New York City and the founder and CEO of Dr. Lara Devkin Scientific Beauty, which is my medical-grade skincare line. I started out as just a regular kid growing up in Los Angeles, California, and my path here has been, like many of our paths, a bit circuitous. And like so many life adventures, I think that our journey to get where we are makes us who we are. And that's part of the process. I grew up in LA. I grew up really being interested in art and I was fortunate enough to grow up in Malibu near the old Getty Museum. And art has always been the background of my life. And my background is as a classically trained artist. So I took art classes at the old Getty Museum and many other places. And I think the discipline of looking at facial features and really understanding how light and shadows hit the face, becoming really disciplined about looking at proportions and balance and the harmony of the face and body. That's something that's always been interesting to me. I love looking at art, museums, collecting art. That's just one of my personal hobbies and passions, even to this point. And I still draw and paint and do that with my kids. Um, and then I went to school growing up in LA and my parents moved to Santa Monica. I went to Harvard Westlake for high school. And, and then I went to college on the East Coast at Yale when I was in college. I loved writing and reading, and I actually 
think that you can learn so much from just immersing yourself in all different walks of life. And my favorite thing about literature was just taking in everything. So I, as a kid, was a voracious reader. And I was an English major when I was in college. And at the same time, I did a pre-med curriculum and did a bunch of biochemistry research under Robert McNabb, who is a famous biochemist at Yale. And I studied the flagellar export apparatus and did some basic science research that became a big influence in my life and study of skincare and some of the molecular mechanisms of cells and science and aging. I was really interested in medicine in part because both of my parents are physicians and my father's a surgeon. And so that was always something that was interesting to me in addition to all these other interests. You know, I think people have many different facets of who they are and it's it's hard to tell a story that's like, yeah, I always wanted to be this one thing. I wanted to be a lot of different things. You know, I, I love, like all of us, I loved a lot of different things growing up. So I did always like science. And when I was in college, some of those interests in science and public health, I did projects at the public health school. And I kind of was gravitating more and more toward in English, not just feeling like I wanted to write and describe the things that other people did, but, you know, maybe I wanted to do some of those things for myself. And I was writing a lot about health-related topics and I decided that I wanted to go to medical school. And I went to Johns Hopkins Medical School in Baltimore, Maryland, which was so amazing. That was one of the most life-changing experiences for me because for those of you who haven't had the privilege of visiting that campus. It's it's one of the most august medical schools in, in the world because it's the site of where many major discoveries in modern medicine happened. And so it was a really cool experience for me as a young medical student to walk down these hallowed halls where Halstead and these famous surgeons and physicians pioneered major discoveries in modern medicine. And um, that was super inspiring for me. In plastic surgery, I found myself, well, I found myself knowing right away that I wanted to be a surgeon because surgery is one of these high impact professions where you have the opportunity to help people in a very unique way. The average American has one to two surgeries in his or her lifetime. And if you are a surgeon, you're with someone for one of the most important days of their life. And you're kind of fundamentally a part of their history. And it's an opportunity to be with someone in their moment of need. And I thought that that was really amazing and compelling. And I have always been someone who's very reliable and I just knew that about myself, that I'm the kind of person who can be there for other people. And, you know, if there are three seconds left on the shot clock, I'm the kind of person who can say, pass me the ball. And I, I know that I can be steady for people. And I wanted to be able to be that for other people. And 
I thought initially I wanted to go into surgical oncology, which is cancer surgery. So helping to remove tumors from people who have cancer. And it has many of the same features of plastic surgery. You have to be an expert in all kinds of anatomy. You have to be able to be good at everything from the head to the toe, all different kinds of patient populations, male, female, all ages. But it's a really sad profession. And that was difficult for me. And then I also found myself not being able to foster the creative side of who I was. And I found myself wanting to stick around after the cancer was out to see what happened when the plastic surgeons came into the room to reconstruct the patients. And at Johns Hopkins, when I was a medical student, you know, as a student, you're just really in the back row, you're observing everything, you're, you're really, you're just, you have the privilege of watching and that's kind of your role. And it was amazing to watch what these incredible plastic surgeons did. Incredible work in free tissue transfer, microsurgery, cleft lip and palate surgery, hand surgery, replantation of transected digits, burn reconstruction, even face transplantation, just really mind blowing operations and really cool stuff, stuff that stuff that didn't even happen at the time when I was in medical school that happened later. But the field as a whole is really all about technology, artistry, anatomy, creativity. And that was really compelling to me. And so then I trained in plastic surgery for my residency and fellowship at New York Presbyterian Hospital, which is the University Hospital of Columbia and Cornell in New York City. So I moved there. When I was in my training, you know, my whole life, I've been really a student. I'm a pretty nerdy person, as you might have gathered. But, you know, I like to say academic. I think it sounds better. It's a better better spin than nerdy. But, um, but I really like to immerse myself in what I'm doing. So I really focused a lot on trying to learn everything about what I do. And I'm very passionate about plastic and reconstructive surgery for the face, breast, and body. I think it's an extremely beautiful intellectual academic field. I think right right now the focus of my practice is cosmetic. And by that by that I mean helping people look and feel like the most beautiful, confident version of themselves. But I think that it's about so much more than that. It's about identity, beauty, and confidence and how you present and, and you know, how, how you feel. And that's really what I focused on. When I was in my training, I met my husband. We later got married. We now have six wonderful children. Which is unbelievable. And, um, <laughs> a couple years, a few years ago, I founded my skincare line, which was sort of the natural byproduct of my desire to really bring a little piece of my medical practice into the, you know, the bathroom mirrors and vanities of my patients and people who I didn't have the privilege of getting to know in person. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey, it sounds like. And it's so interesting, I think, to hear the beginning of your art interest, because that makes so much sense to see how it's manifested for you in your profession and just such an interesting way that like as a kid, you may love art and you may think here's one path, but this is a totally different path that one could take and one that seems so fitting. 
Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I really think about this as a one way of being a working artist. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your earlier point of being able to work with people and bring that confidence, like that's such a special gift that you're able to be part of and really help people to feel their best. And as I think about what we're doing at Purely Elizabeth, you know, helping people on their wellness journey is our overall mission. But, you know, a part of that is truly how do you feel your best and confidence and beauty is certainly a big piece of that journey. Yeah, I think so, too. I love what you do for your community, because I think it's hard to put your finger on how to help people feel like a great version of themselves. But if you can do that, it's really priceless. Absolutely. I'm curious to hear the, you know, you certainly have two different parts of your practice, more the surgical and then other pieces. I don't know what you call that side of Botox and. Yeah, like all the not. The non-surgical. So going into surgical side, curious to hear what your mindset is going into a surgery. Like, is it so routine now that you don't think about it? Or do you really need to get into a zone? You know, if you're an athlete, you're getting into that zone. Is that similar for you? Yeah, I actually think that being a surgeon is a lot like being an athlete. It is a little bit of a physical profession. It's physical and mental. So you need to be present and you need to get prepared. So I have never been a professional athlete, but it's how I imagine a professional athlete prepares as well. So before a surgical day, I go to bed on time. I have my little rituals. I prepare for my cases. I have a blueprint of my operations. I mentally run through each one of my cases. I think I owe a huge, tremendous responsibility to each one of my patients to make sure that I'm well-rested, well-slept, that I eat a proper breakfast, that I'm feeling good and in the zone. So I have all my little things that I like to do in the morning. What are some of those things? Let's get into those details. I'm not, I'm not a particularly superstitious person, but I do believe in preparation. So I prepare for every one of my surgical cases for patients who are having a facial rejuvenation procedure, like a facelift or a neck lift. I'll ask them to submit a few weeks in advance photos of themselves at every decade of their life, starting from their 20s, like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so that I can look at how their face has changed over time. And I'll use those images as well as standardized photos and my notes from their office visits to make a blueprint or surgical plan of the exact maneuvers that I'll do during my case. And then I'll review those the night before. And then again, on the morning of the surgery, I have my like special coffee that my husband makes me in the morning that I like to drink. I take what's in your coffee? Anything Uh, that we should know? uh, It's a double espresso with um, non-fat vanilla coffee meat. Little splash. (laughs) I like to do things that make me feel like I'm super prepared for the case. I like to work with the same team so that there are no moving parts and that everything's really organized. And then I, I meet every patient. I mark every patient myself and I review with every patient verbally in person the plan for the surgery just to make sure that they don't have any last minute jitters and that we're on the exact same page for the surgery. But yeah, I think that it's important to be 
extra prepared. And, you know, what's interesting about being a surgeon is that the most important day in my patient's life is a regular day in my life. And I always try to take my responsibility very seriously because that's an inherently weird dynamic. And there's something that is inherently abnormal about that. And it's never going to be normal, but it's a special, austere relationship. And I have a little moment of silence at the beginning of every case after we do our surgical pause. So during every case, before we start the operation, the entire team led by the charge nurse, the circulating nurse will do a surgical timeout, which means that we review the patient's name, date of birth, the operation, the antibiotics given, whether there are any special implants, special considerations, and, and that's just a safety thing. And then everyone in the room, the surgeon, the nurse, the scrub tech, and the anesthesiologist will all add anything that they need to add and then say, I agree. And this is just sort of a patient safety thing. And then I just have like a little moment of silence for three seconds, just take a beat, get in the zone, and then we start the case. So that's what I do to get ready for surgery. I love a good playlist. So oh, that's fine. <laughs> music is very important. So you can search my Spotify playlists by looking up my name, Dr. Lara Devgin. But my favorite one is called Music to Operate To. Um, but I have a bunch of surgery. And what kind of music like is on is on that playlist? Uh, it's mostly um, 90s and 2000s alternative rock. Oh, so fun. But I also like classical, like Mozart and Vivaldi. Well, we'll definitely have to look up those playlists for sure. <laughs> so diving in a little bit into really your kind of approach and signature procedures, why do people come to you for, you know, what that you do uh, that is so special? Well, I think that my focus and my practice is on surgical and non-surgical optimization of the face, breast, and body. And, you know, I coined this term optimization or facial optimization because I really believe that in many cases, subtle is the new dramatic. And I came into the world of plastic surgery at a time where more was always considered better. And, um, you know, that's a function of my age, but also kind of where we were in the cultural zeitgeist at the time. But it was a time with really big oversized breast implants, really dramatic, tiny little ski slope noses, really over pulled, overstretched, puffy facelift faces with lots of fat grafting that looked really exaggerated. You know, there was a lot going on in plastic surgery. And my goal and my aesthetic was really to take it back a step and to make it a little bit more understated and elegant and artful. And what I do is more subtle and more natural looking. And, you know, I think that there is no right answer when it comes to aesthetics. I think everybody has the permission to be their own kind of beautiful. I am not in charge of your beauty or anybody else's beauty, I think everybody should do what they want to do. And that's kind of the best thing about 2022 and any year that you're living in, you should do whatever you want. But I think that 
patients who come to see me in my practice like that aesthetic. And that's kind of my niche in my field. And I think a combination of surgical and non-surgical procedures can often be very powerful. So I try to split my practice intentionally to be half surgical and half non-surgical because I have always felt that if all you have is a hammer, everything is a nail. And so if all I'm offering patients is a facelift, then everything I'm going to want to do is a facelift, right? It's just sort of you, 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 you paint yourself into a corner and you, you become your own worst enemy because you're not giving yourself the option of being able to give a patient the most fair answer for them because you're only able to do one thing for them. But by being able to be fully vertically integrated, I'm able to tell a patient, you know, that they could do topical skincare products, a laser, a microinfusion, microneedling treatment, injectable fillers, Botox, suture suspension lifting, a surgical facelift, maybe a brow lift, neck lift, you know, anything from the beginning to the middle to the end, A to Z, and or maybe a combination of the above. And that really allows the most bespoke possible outcome. And it really allows the most understated result for a particular person. And depending on a person's unique goals and anatomic characteristics, I think that that's what gives you the greatest combination of possible outcomes. I love that approach. And I think it certainly resonated with a lot of people thinking about your Instagram account. I'm sure that that people find you that way because it's so great to see those before and afters. And you're like, wow, this is such a subtle shift, but it looks so amazingly beautiful. So curious to also hear your viewpoint on social media. And obviously it's been wonderful for you to to grow your business, but just the effects, I suppose, of, you know, that comparison and people looking at social media and wanting to be X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's tricky, right? I think that social media is a really amazing way to make the world smaller because it's it's allowed us to globalize. And if the cell phone is the new computer, then Instagram is the new website, right? I think that I can go days without turning on my laptop, but I can't go I can't, go I can't go 20 minutes without turning on my cell phone. If I'm being honest, maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but I could literally go two or three days without turning on my laptop if I needed to. And I don't really even have a desktop anymore. I have one in the kitchen for my kids so that I can mostly just make sure they're doing their homework. But I think that that is... That's the future and it has its good and it has its bad. I think the good outweighs the bad because social media has allowed us to be more interconnected. I, I'm much more in touch with my friends and family than I was before the era of social media. I'm much more aware of the world and the news arc of the world. I think we all are, you know, stories go viral in a minute we're all kind of on the same page when something happens out there. And I think in terms of things like the topics we're discussing today, it serves as 
an amplifier. You know, you can really create education around a topic in a way that you couldn't before. With regard to plastic surgery and medical aesthetics, some of the loudest voices in my field were not board certified plastic surgeons. They still aren't, in fact. Some of the loudest voices in plastic surgery are not board certified plastic surgeons. So in, that continues to be true even on Instagram and TikTok and elsewhere. So if you're listening to this, just like make sure whoever you're following is actually a board certified plastic surgeon, board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, because I would bet you there's a 50% chance that they're not. And I'll leave that up to you to figure that out. But so there's a huge educational opportunity. I would say that the there are huge downsides of Instagram. You know, I'm the mother to six young children and two of them are daughters. And I think that Instagram's own research that was leaked and then published as an afterthought demonstrated that social media makes young people, especially disproportionately young girls, unhappy. And I think there's a correlation between social media and depression. It might be influencing young people toward harm acts. We're not totally sure, but I think there's some data that suggests that. I think, you know, who among us has not felt sort of bad about ourselves because we see everyone we know looking better, having more, doing more fun stuff, hanging out without us, wearing cuter clothes and going to more fun parties. <laughs> all, all, all of the, all the things. Yeah. All the things. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's strange. It's a strange phenomenon. It, sometimes it feels like the high school cafeteria all over again. And I think when you throw in like oddly, oddly beautiful, good looks into it, some of which are real and some of which are not real, some of which are plastic surgery influenced and some of which are influenced by a filter or Photoshop or Facetune or all of the above, none of which are disclosed. That makes everybody feel even worse about themselves. So I don't know. My my kids are too little to for this to be applicable, but I'm planning on keeping them away from social media as long as that's socially acceptable in my house because I think these topics are very difficult. Yeah. But hard, hard even for adults. Absolutely. But I think your point earlier about like the education piece is really important and to be able to look at it from that standpoint of like here's all the good that it's hopefully helping people decipher one from another from that education standpoint so yeah I don't know I, I wish I had more answers about it I don't like I don't think that censorship is the right answer I think that it's kind of crazy when content is ban banned or shadow banned or removed I think that I find paternalistic and almost demeaning, but I don't know. Switching topics to how yeah. we can feel our best. <laughs> After we've gone on Instagram and we realize, shoot, I, I need to feel better now. I know. <laughs> I need to do something and I'm in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, 50s. <laughs> Obviously, it's a little bit different at each stage, but what tips can you share for us in, as far as taking care of our skin, like there's certainly things that we all know of like, don't go in the sun, which I'm sure we're, I know I was so guilty of until like this year of being good about putting sunscreen on, but would love to hear what, what other tips that we don't know about that you think are like, this is really important. Like don't sleep on your side. I've heard that, which I'm 
horrible sleeping on my side. Yes, sleeping on your side is so bad because it's going to give you positional wrinkles that will just etch those nasolabial and marionette lines deep into your face. But okay, so you sleep on your back then? I do my best to sleep on my back. And one of my best tricks for making myself sleep on my back, it's sort of weird, but I interlock my hands on my elbows and kind of sleep with my arms like this. No way. (laughs) Demonstrating it. It's sort of weird, but I have like basically my arms above my head when I sleep and it kind of helps me keep my head straight. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's kind of, it looks weird, but it works. (laughs) Okay, so some of my best tips for taking care of your skin are, I'll give you just like kind of an assortment. Sure. Try to sleep on your back to avoid positional wrinkles as we were discussing. Number two, try to talk more with your voice and your hands than by scrunching up your face because you're going to get deeply etched lines from repeated facial furrows and expressions if you put a lot of demands of wrinkles on your face. Next, I know we already talked about this, but avoiding a lot of sun exposure is very important because UVA and UVB radiation will not only make your skin look worse, but skin cancer is the number one cancer in the entire world. And it's an extremely treatable and extremely preventable cancer. Do you put sunscreen on if you're inside? Like and near a window. Yes. Yes, And I actually, I love my SPF BB cream. I use it every single day, rain or shine. And it's so lightweight and easy to use. And it has such a beautiful universal tinted coverage that it functions almost like a very light tinted moisturizer BB cream. So it looks good and almost looks like a makeup but it makes your skin look really nice and even complexioned, but also gives you UVA and UVB coverage because it's a zinc and titanium based SPF 44. Even if you're indoors, you have ambient light from the windows, you get reflected UVA, UVB light, you go outside. I think that that's a best practice. Many people don't realize this and you know, I'm sorry for the controversial opinion, but the best amount of alcohol to drink is actually zero. And so you want to really minimize the amount of alcohol you drink. And um, that goes for tobacco and nicotine products, including vaping and non-smoke based nicotine products too, like nicotine patches if you're trying to quit. So if you were going to have a drink, is there anything that's better than like a tequila better than red wine or it's all the same? I mean, there's some studies that suggest that red wine can have some minor cardiac benefits because it has resveratrol and antioxidants in it. But those are like on the very soft end of science. (laughs) If you're going to have a drink, I would probably just have whatever you want and then try to minimize your overall alcohol intake. Um, And people, you know, disagree about this. And then I would try to make sure for your skin health, but overall your overall life health to just um, try to have a relatively healthy, well-balanced diet in general for your skin, but also for your facial beauty. One of the key rules of thumb is that fluctuations tend to be negative. So whatever is your healthy zone for yourself, is going to tend to be where you want to live. 
So things like crash dieting, starving yourself, fasts, cleanses, things that feel bad for you, that's probably your body telling you that they are bad for you. So being relatively steady and stable, that's probably going to be your healthy zone for yourself. And then specifically with regard to the skin, the most essential ingredients for your skin are going to be, and this is kind of an, a, a most ideal recommended order, although I will say that the exact order of products is not as important as your daily adherence to them. So you can mix this up as you see fit because not everyone is exactly the same. But in terms of product and essential ingredients, a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic acid serum is going to be really helpful for hydration of the skin and boosting collagen. A peptide-based... Right, and are you saying this is the order you should put it in or not the order? Because I had that question this morning. Like, I don't know if I'm putting these on in the right order. So this, this, this is my preferred recommended okay. order. So in the morning, I would use... After cleansing your face, I would use a mixed molecular weight hyaluronic acid serum for boosting collagen. Next, I would use a peptide eye cream. I love our peptide eye cream because it will help boost and hydrate the thin skin around the eye area. And then you can use an SPF and try to use an SPF that has zinc and titanium so that it's a physical block. At night, you want to use a vitamin C and ideally a vitamin C um, BE ferulic serum, and that's an antioxidant that will also help improve brown spots and fade hyperpigmentation. And then I love a retinol bacuchiol serum to help improve fine lines and hyperpigmentation, reduce enlarged pores, and help with blemishes. And then resveratrol is a really great ingredient. That's what we were talking about in red wine. So if you want to lock in moisture, resveratrol is really good as a night cream. And then for the neck tissue, a niacin and squalene neck cream can be really nice too. So those are some key ingredients to look out for in products if you're thinking about amping up your skincare routine. So obviously all of those are important and they each do something different in the puzzle. If somebody was just starting out and they're like, I'm, I'm ready to invest in great products and they were only going to pick one, what would you say to get or to start with? If you're only going to pick one, I think vitamin CBE ferulic is going to be your number one. Your number two is going to be retinol bacuchiol, and your number three is going to be hyaluronic serum. Those are my top three in that order. So as we talk about your line of skincare, I'm curious if you can share what medical grade means versus kind of run of the mill product. And we actually had this question come in over Instagram. Someone asked like, how do I know if it's worth investing in something or not? And I'm getting ready to like really upgrade my skincare. Skincare products are very confusing and skincare products are named according to their active ingredients, but the percentage of active ingredients in a product can vary greatly. You might see a product with a name like hyaluronic acid or hyaluronic serum, and it might vary hugely in price point. 
because it can be legally labeled as such if it has a tiny percentage of hyaluronic acid in it. And when a product is a medical grade product, it's sort of like the way meat is labeled when you're buying a steak. You know, it can be, and I'm like not actually a huge meat eater, so I don't want to say this wrong, but um, you can have like grade A or like prime B for, you know, what's the one that's better than prime? Like, uh, I'm not much of a meat eater either. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I gotta think of a better analogy than this, but you can have grades of beef, like, the quality of it. Quality of it. And so in the same way, the percentage of active ingredients can vary from one brand to another. And generally speaking, medical grade skincare has the highest percentage of active ingredients, a certain type of meaningful ingredient as compared to other type of products. So that's what people mean when they say that. And so that that's kind of what that means. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And that makes a lot of sense why you truly see results using your products because there's so much active ingredient in it. Yeah. And I think that these are the products that my actual in-office patients are using. And so with the skincare line, that's been something really amazing that I really never truly anticipated. I started it just as a passion project for my patients in office because I wanted them to be able to extend the results of their treatments, like, you know, in between injectables every three or six months, or, you know, when they had an amazing surgical outcome, I wanted it to last for them. And I wanted them to be able to decrease their Botox dosage. And I wanted them to have their neck lift last longer and so forth. And I didn't really imagine that it would pick up in this way. And it was actually a result of my patients and few key patients who helped me really take it out of orbit. And that was really amazing. It was a result of actual literal organic usage by my real patients that the products got picked up by Sephora and Net-A-Porter and Saks and all of these major retailers and Equinox and these different hotels and all these other little retailers all over the place. And then, you know, we had these, this like amazing chain reaction of social promotion that like, honestly, at the time we couldn't afford to, we couldn't afford to ask these people to promote the products, but they just organically did it. And like, you know, I woke up one day and Kim Kardashian was like posting a facial with my products on her app. And then- Oh my God. <laughs> Hadid had like our gold face mask on her Instagram story. And, you know, Jennifer Aniston was wearing platinum lip plump on the cover of InStyle. And I was like, I literally could not pay for those product placements. And the, those little like moments in time really helped get the product line out of orbit in a way that was extremely organic. That's um, amazing. That is very cool. The products speak for themselves. I was going to say, I, I had been using this CE and the retinol and I just started using the hyaluronic maybe a week ago. And I feel like honestly, in the last week, I've noticed 
such a crazy difference in my skin. So in addition to skincare, if people are wanting to get other non-surgical treatments, what do you suggest as far as ultimately everyone wants to get that glow and have their skin look flawless? What are some of those like lasers or even this was a great question of Botox. When do you suggest starting to get Botox? At what age? You know, as a preventative or... Yeah, I think of Botox as, you know, you can start getting Botox whenever you feel like it's right for you. And there are some people who never want to do it. And I think that's perfectly fine. I started getting Botox when I was 27. And I think one way of thinking about it, probably the sort of most ideal way, in my opinion, of thinking about it is as a preventative measure when you have the skin quality that you'd like to maintain. You know, the skin is like a piece of paper. If you fold it a bunch of times, you're going to start getting etched lines that don't go away when you unfold it. So if you are looking at your face in repose or at rest, you don't want to see etched furrows. And the ideal skin situation is like that of a teenager where you can make any expression you want, but then when you're relaxed, it looks nice and smooth and perfect. That can be attained with a little bit of early Botox that's not too aggressive and not too stiff at a kind of more preventative time point. So that can be different for everyone. Often it's just before you have a severe problem because if you wait till you have very severe etched lines, then you're more in the treatment mode and it's more like ironing a shirt that has etched lines in it and you may need to do some other things to get those lines to go away. And then as far as what else you suggest for the skin, what are some of your favorite lasers or what should people be looking for if they're interested in, in doing more? I really love the gold microinfusion microneedling treatment and that is a really beautiful treatment where we use a combination of a customized cocktail of Botox, hyaluronic, and platelet-rich plasma or PRP. And that's a blood product derivative where we spin your blood in a centrifuge to separate out the liquid gold part of it or the PRP. And that's rich in growth factors that ramp up stem cell activity. And then we micro-inject that whole cocktail 500 microns deep into the dermis. And that serves to create a really beautiful glass skin quality to the skin. So that's really nice if you want your skin to look really pretty and smooth. It boosts collagen production, improves the appearance of enlarged pores. It can help break up hyperpigmentation. And it also decreases sebum or oil production. It's sometimes people call it like a glass skin facial. So that's a really that's amazing. Yeah, it's really pretty. And people like to do that before big events. It just makes the face look really flawless. If you want to go makeup free, that's nice too. And so that's texture. And then if you're also thinking about discoloration, the Erbium laser is really beautiful. That's an ablative resurfacing laser. And that's really nice for hyperpigmentation or also deeper textural problems like acne scarring or pitted scars. And that can be really helpful for just smoothing out the surface of the skin. And I think Erbium laser is really nice for people who are kind of trying to get a control all delete or like a clinical reset of skin quality. 
So what is next for you in this world and what's next in, I guess, technology in the world of, of beauty? I think the future of plastic surgery is going to be less and less invasive. So we're going to try to keep pushing the envelope with some of the things that we've been doing. So more and more power with smaller and smaller incisions, longer and longer duration, and kind of more and more efficacy. And we've been seeing this in the past decade, and we're going to continue to see that in the next decade. It's kind of like what we've seen in the past 10 years with the iPhone, where every year it's like faster, more RAM, smaller, better photo quality. It's like you get more in less. And I think we're going to see that in plastic surgery. So like smaller incisions, better lifts, sharper results, less invasiveness, less downtime. And there is always going to be a role for maximally invasive surgery. And I think one of the big disconnects that, you know, I'm speaking badly about myself and my people right now, like my people being surgeons, but surgeons like me, we have a hard time understanding that what we love to do the most is not what people want the most. Like we love big invasive operations. Human anatomy is so beautiful and amazing. If you're a surgeon, there's nothing more amazing than a beautiful open operation. There is nothing cooler than surgery. Being in the operating room is like, it's like what I imagine the feeling of space exploration must be like. Or so what, it's still a thrill every single time. That's like, it must be like, you know, what Neil Armstrong felt like or Jacques Cousteau or like, it's like so cool. You just feel like that's what you were born to do. And surgeons love surgery. And I'll just speak for other surgeons. I, I'll take the liberty of speaking for other surgeons to say that. But it's like, it's amazing. And if, you, if you're good at it and you love anatomy and you love what you do, and which I do, all of those things. And it's very cool. So sometimes it's hard for me and my friends and people like me to understand that the general public isn't like trying to line up and get cut open. <laughs> that like people don't like... People don't want to have surgery, even though like we love surgery. And so I think what we need to have the foresight to realize as surgeons is that we need to use our deep three-dimensional anatomy skills to work harder and be smarter and think about how to use those interesting anatomy skills to come up with less invasive solutions. There will always be a role for situations that need big surgeries, but more and more people are like me and you and, you know, our generation and people younger than us who are just like, no, thank you. We want to try to avoid surgery if it's possible because we don't want to do that. Yeah. And so um, I think that's the future of aesthetics. So interesting. So is it still every single time in surgery, a thrill, like an adrenaline rush almost? 
I wouldn't say it's an adrenaline rush, but it's just, it's amazing. It's my job, but it's, it's something that is very special. So it's, it's something that's very routine, but it's very beautiful and very high stakes and it's very important and it's very serious. And so, but yeah, it's really amazing. Human anatomy is very complex and beautiful. I love it. All right, well, we're going to move on to some rapid fire Q&A. A favorite book, mentor, or podcast that you listen to or read for growth? I love How I Built This. That's one of my favorite podcasts. And a book that I really loved recently was Shoe Dog um, about Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. I need to read that. Best kept beauty secret. The best kept beauty secret really truly is the beauty is on the inside. Three things that you're currently loving. I am currently loving my new vitamin C ergothionine serum. It's like so great as an extra brightener. I am also really super loving watching the uh, We Crashed yeah. um, show. It's like so good. I have one more episode to go. And Me too. It, and it's been like really fun and extremely engaging and gripping. And then what's one more thing that I'm really loving? I love this restaurant in New York called St. Theo's and I could eat their pasta every single day. Yeah. What do you want more of in your life? I want more time. I think that's the only finite resource. And I just would love to have more time. What do you want less of? I'd like less suffering. I think that there is a lot going on in the world that's beyond our control. And I think that there is really nothing sadder than human suffering. A meal that you'll never forget. Mm. I remember when I was pregnant with my first child, my eldest son, and my husband and I went on a baby moon in Italy at the Amalfi Coast, and we had pizza for like 10 consecutive meals. <laughs> I think he thought I didn't mean it when I said I just wanted to eat pizza every single day, but he really underestimated the power of a pregnant woman. And uh, I think every one of those 10 meals, like, you know, I love a good pizza. And um, so pizza. I love that. What's your favorite pizza place in New York, if you have one? Oh, my gosh. Um, God, I don't. Uh, Lucali in Brooklyn. I know that's like a popular answer, but it's really good. What is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? My family is the most important thing to me, and I would really be nothing without them. I would never negotiate anything with them. I love that. Well, in closing, I do want to just touch on, as you mentioned earlier, that you have six kids, which is incredible. And just any last tips on kind of balancing or whatever word you'd like to use for juggling, having an amazing, thriving business, career, kids, 
what are some of those things that get you through it all and feel your best? I think that we all need to give ourselves a little permission to give ourselves some grace. And, you know, kids look to us to help figure out what the world is all about. And sometimes when I'm not completely certain, I can tell that it makes my kids feel nervous. It was very upsetting for me to to read about the situation in Ukraine. And I could tell that it was making my kids anxious when I felt upset about it. And one thing that I have been trying to do more of is radiate a little bit more of a sense of constancy for my family, especially for my young kids. Because even when I don't know what the future holds for them, I know that I can guarantee to them that I'm going to love them the same every single day. And so I try not to make false promises to them that everything is going to be perfect, but I do try to radiate a sense of constancy about how my husband and I feel about them so that at least their little family unit feels the same. And so I've been trying to think more about stability for them because I have realized that the world is just shockingly unstable. And I think that with COVID and the past few years and instability in the world and in the markets and just everything around us can at times feel like a lot, that is something that I think I think about a lot. And I think that um, we're all becoming so much more aware of mental health, especially for young people. So I just, you know, we've talked a lot about growth and business and beauty and wellness and all of that stuff. But really, what I'm really trying to focus on is just trying to be happy and trying to make sure that my kids are happy and that they grow up feeling like nice whole people who want to contribute to the world and do good things. I love that. Such a beautiful message. Any other last tips on what you do personally to feel, to make yourself feel your happiest? Any rituals or little self-care things? I carry around this little, little book in my pocket. It's like a little tiny black journal and I just write some notes down and to-do lists. And sometimes people tell me anecdotes or quotes or books to read or things to look up. And I write some, I write stuff down all day and it helps me remember things and um, I look back on it and keeps me organized. So that's one thing that I like to do. Um, it kind of helps me make sense of the world. Love it. Well, Dr. Devgan, thank you so much for being on the podcast and closing. Where can everybody find you? I am at Lara Devgan MD on Instagram and on the web and then my skincare line is at dr lara devgan on instagram and the web and uh both of those on tiktok too but you have a big tiktok following <laughs> yeah i'm i'm working on my tiktok that's another goal <laughs> a less, less lofty but equally important yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being here thanks thanks so much for joining me on live purely with elizabeth I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, 
subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.